Hello out there to whoever's listening, if anyone's listening. This is Pastor Tim Dooner of Valley Forge Presbyterian Church, and I welcome you to this sixth sermon from our fall-winter 2019 sermon series on our journey of becoming uh, more fully a Matthew 25 congregation, uh, a congregation that finds its identity and its purpose uh, more profoundly in the message of Jesus found in this part of Matthew's gospel. Uh, this sermon is entitled, A New Season, Inherit the Kingdom. I invite you now to enjoy and to become centered by a time of quiet and stillness as we prepare to think about this together. Okay, what I share for your consideration and imagination today is uh, similar to, the same as the last episode, in response to the third of the three parables of Jesus from the 25th chapter of, of Matthew, the parable of the sheep and the goats. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will put the sheep at his right hand and the goats at his left. Then the king will say to those at his right hand, Come, you that are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you gave me clothing. I was sick, and you took care of me. I was in prison, and you visited me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when was it that we saw you hungry and gave you food, or thirsty and gave you something to drink? And when was it that we saw you a stranger and welcomed you, or naked and gave you clothing? And when was it that we saw you sick or in prison and visited you? And the king will answer them, Truly I tell you, just as you did it to one of the least of these who are members of my family, you did it for me. And then he will say to those at his left hand, You that are accursed, depart from me into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me naked, and you did not give me clothing, sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they also will answer, Lord, when was it that we saw you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not take care of you? Then he will answer them, truly I tell you, just as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. We are grateful for how God uses this scripture to shape and inspire and call us. In this episode, we conclude a series of reflections on the connected stories and parables that Jesus tells according to this uh, section of Matthew's gospel. It started with his parable proclamation that the stones of the temple, where this legalistic religion based on fear and guilt was housed, were to be thrown down. And his religion of love for God and neighbor that would replace it. 
his parable of the faithful servants found busy doing the master's work, his parable of the ten bridesmaids, which taught us that God's call upon us comes anytime, and so we have to always be watching for it, his parable of the talents, which reveals that we are all entrusted by God with talents and resources that God expects us to use according to our abilities for God's sake and not for our own. And then this, the parable of the sheep and goats, by, by which this new season of the PCUSA and congregations like ours who pledge to participate in the Matthew 25 initiative is largely inspired. In the last episode, we heard in this parable the invitation to consider that the ultimate expression of faithful Christianity is the intentional love for the least of those around us, those most in need. We considered that the call to follow Jesus is not just to believe something, but to do something. That our gatherings and rituals are not in and of themselves what God is calling us to do. That's not a full picture of what it means to be a Christian, but rather they are to equip us as Christians for what God is actually calling us to do. The intentional love for the neighbor in need so that it participates in God's will of restoring human flourishing. It's, it's the faith with which we act and live, not just believe, that puts us on the right hand of God with honor and with God's blessing. So in this episode, in hearing Jesus telling of the parable of the sheep and goats again, we focus on the invitation that he makes to inherit the kingdom that God has prepared for us since the foundation of the world. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you since the beginning of eternity. What is Jesus trying to teach us in that proclamation? That if we are sheep at the right hand of God, sheep who spend their lives lovingly helping and lifting up the sisters and brothers around us who are most in need, feeding the hungry, giving drink to the thirsty, hospitality to the alien and the stranger and the refugee, clothing to the naked, care to the sick, visiting the imprisoned. What is he trying to teach us when he says we will inherit the kingdom prepared for us since the foundation of the world? There's a large library of commentaries and sermons throughout the ages of the church that want to make this parable about who gets into heaven at the end of their lives and who gets condemned to hell at the end of their lives. On the drive to Pittsburgh that I make for school or when we go see my wife's sister and her family, we pass billboards on the turnpike with the intentionally terrifying question, do you know where you're going when you die? And one of them has this scripture reference on it. Uh, I've told the story to churches before about how, as a teen, I liked to stop at the Boardwalk Chapel in Wildwood, where they had the heaven or hell quiz that looked like a pinball machine. And I'd argue with the volunteers quoting this parable for trying to convince me that I was ending up in the place of fire. Now, I would never argue or say that what happens to us at the time of our death is not an important question. It's absolutely an important question. And we all long for the faith and hope and peace of spirit to come when we trust in God to ensure that our movement into life beyond this one is positive. But what I am arguing is that this parable is not about that. When we make this parable about what happens when we die, we not only distract ourselves away from what Jesus was actually trying to get us to understand by it, but we also put ourselves in a place of theological confusion and contradiction. 
Now, I want to think about that latter part first, and then we'll get back to what Jesus was actually teaching. One of the keystones of a Reformed Christian theology is the proclamation that we cannot earn our way into God's good graces, whether that be in this life or in the transition to the next. We reject the theology of works righteousness, that our, that our good works earn us some sort of categorical righteousness, transforming our value and our standing before God and one another. We reject the notion that our good works make us uh, any better or more, more worthy than any other human being in the eyes of God. We are all imperfect, yet we are also all beloved children of God. We cannot earn or negate the love of God. It is by God's eternal and graceful love for us alone, which comes with the gift of God's limitless patience and forgiveness, that God adopts a posture of favor, compassion, care, love, interest toward us all. No one is closer to God than another. No one is more holy than another. No one is more worthy or righteous than another. This is the theology of sola gratia, grace alone. And it demands that we reject that theology of works righteousness. But how confused and conflicted must we be if on the one hand, we're preaching sola gratia and rejecting works righteousness, while on the other hand, preaching that if we don't do all these good works for the sake of the hungry, thirsty, naked, homeless, sick, imprisoned, and helpless, that we have not earned our place in God's good graces, instead earned ourselves a trip to the eternal fires. This doesn't add up. That's too much confusion and contradiction because that's not what Jesus was teaching. The question of where we go when death happens was asked of Jesus, and his response was pretty straightforward. Thank God. As we uh, celebrate at, at all of our memorial services and funerals, when we entrust the care of our beloved to, to God for eternity. We, hear, we, we celebrate in the scriptures when Jesus says, don't let your hearts be troubled. In my Father's house there are many dwelling places. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and I'll take you to myself so that where I am, there you may be also. The question of where we go when we die, Jesus didn't want that to cause any kind of doubt or troubledness in our hearts. We have no good reason to doubt his promise of a place prepared for us in love. This parable isn't about that. If we understand that this is another apocalyptic parable in which the writer or storyteller uses the possible endings to the story as commentary on the orientation of the present, we realize that Jesus isn't talking about the end of our lives anyway. He's talking about our lives and their orientation in the present. This isn't about how to get to heaven or avoid hell when we die, but, but how to inherit, uh, realize, live into the kingdom of heaven on earth. The church has prayed for thousands of years for God's kingdom to come and God's will to be done on earth. The kind of life orientation in the present that brings about the inheritance or realization of God's kingdom on earth is the life we considered in the last episode, the life of the sheep at the right hand of God, the life orientation that leads us as a human community toward the realization of God's will of flourishing and peace in our midst is the life of intentional love and intervention for the sake of lifting up, supporting, healing, and restoring those who are the most broken down, the most downtrodden. And this, this is no pie-in-the-sky pipe dream. This is Jesus showing us that the actual concrete, physical, flesh and blood solution to the ways that our society is disordered and broken 
is inspiring more and more to love their neighbor. In our world, in our nation, in our state, in our local community, there are sisters and brothers who are poor, hungry, homeless, lacking sufficient clothing, strangers and aliens, minorities who are oppressed and ignored, lonely, sick, injured, stuck at home, fill in the blank. The remedy to this brokenness will not come only through legislation, having the right political ideology, electing the right leaders, enacting the right laws and policies. The remedy will not only come through education, if we could, as if, if we could just get these kids through 12 years of school without them starving, they'll be guaranteed to break the cycle. And the remedy will not come only through religion, as if uh, full pews in every church leads to utopia. Politics, education, and religion are all essential layers of human society, but they cannot in and of themselves be the remedy to that which ails us. They will not be in and of themselves that which leads to God's kingdom coming, and God's will being done, which is our deepest longing as Christians. The one thing which will be the remedy and can ensure the coming of the kingdom is the intentional love for God and neighbor. If our politics, our educational institutions, our religious communities have a heartbeat of love for the least of our sisters and brothers, if they are made up of sheep, they will all move within the current of God's will and will help to push our society toward that place of kingdom goodness and peace. In this uh, apocalyptic parable, Jesus warns us that the goat-like life of ignorance to, if not outright disregard for, the least of our sisters and brothers, that orientation in this life points us toward being accursed. And instead of inheriting or realizing the kingdom around us, we inherit or realize the fire prepared for the devil and his messengers. Again, don't let your hearts be troubled, said Jesus. This is commentary on the orientation of the present. Jesus warns that a lack of love for the least of our sisters and brothers is what will lead us to this other destination, one of devil and fire. In Matthew's gospel, uh, there are many references to fire. For example, Jesus teaches about how from the threshing floor, the wheat is thrown into the barn while the chaff is thrown into the fire. Jesus teaches about how trees that do not produce fruit are cut down and thrown into the fire. He teaches that if your eye causes you to go astray, it would be wise to pluck it out and throw it into the fires of hell. So we see that the fire is associated with being useless or unfruitful. But this is where the useless parts of the plant are thrown. We also see the fire is associated with hell, which is the Greek word Gehenna, which is actually a valley, a very physical place, southwest of Jerusalem, where residents burn their trash. So is Jesus condemning us to eternal torment in the fires of hell if we don't feed the hungry and clothe the naked? No, he's not saying that. What Jesus is saying is that our lives are about as useful in this world as a leftover chaff, a fruitless tree, or our garbage if we aren't participating in God's will of lifting up the least of our fellow human beings with intentional acts of loving help. A lack of concern for those in need around us will lead us as a people to a society where God's will is not accomplished and where God's kingdom is not realized. The hungry, thirsty, homeless, sick, and lonely continue to suffer. 
a lack of concern for those most in need around us may be tempting. After all, looking out for number one can pay off. Some of us may have great little kingdoms that we have amassed for ourselves, but just as Jesus invited the rich young ruler to discover the fullness of life in selling his extra possessions and donating them for the sake of the poor, we are likewise invited to avoid this trap of making our lives all about seeking our own gains, such that our lives do very little, if anything, to advance God's will or realize God's kingdom. That kind of life has time and time again proved to be lacking, and it only leads us to being and maybe feeling useless. Many, uh, many of us have known um, the parable of the Good Samaritan, which reminds us that life isn't about seeking either our own self-interests or pursuing pious religious perfection, but is about crossing the street when we see someone who needs our help, no matter who they are, in order that we might help them. Uh, this is a life of empathy, compassion, gentleness, care, offered freely in love to others, even if they look or speak or believe differently than we do. It's this Christ-like love that makes our life have meaning, that makes us feel a sense of worth and purpose by that faithful participation in God, God's will, by living with intentional love for those most in need. We inherit the kingdom. We inherit the life that is good and true and was meant for us from the beginning of time. I trust that Jesus has prepared a place for me when I die. And until then, I trust that his invitation to love the least of my sisters and brothers is what is going to lead to the fullest, most abundant, and most fruitful days. If this is God's will for us to participate in God's remaking of the world by our love for the least of our sisters and brothers, why wouldn't we do everything in our power to do so? So God help us. Amen. Amen. And may God bless you in your reflections and your prayers.